Amen. Did you notice the difference this morning? Amen. Sam's back. <laughs> As Kevin mentioned in the announcements, uh, we are encouraged seeing more and more of our folks come back, and we want even more to feel comfortable in doing so. The restrooms are larger in the core. The lobby is much larger and doesn't bottleneck. And in the, in the gym room, we can set up chairs and keep everybody distanced. That's something that our folks are still very much uh, concerned about. And uh, we're just hoping, and plus all the surfaces are hard and easier for us to clean and disinfect. And so we're wanting you to feel better. Uh, and others who are still watching online and hesitant to come back, uh, that you will feel even better about coming on back. And uh, we will just flip-flop what's being done now. Uh, the overflow that's in the core right now, watching on the screens, they'll be in here. And we will be down there. And uh, we want to see for a couple of weeks if that encourages more and more of our folks to, to come on back, seeing that there is much more uh, space. So if you're talking to somebody on the phone or uh, meeting with those who are still concerned, in, encourage them that you know next week it'll be a little easier for them, uh, perhaps. Uh, find Philippians chapter 1 in your copy of the Bible. And I want to talk to you this morning on a subject matter, when good comes out of bad. When good comes out of bad. Going through the book of Philippians, and today we'll look at verses 12 to 18. And I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, please. Verses 12 to 18 of Philippians chapter 1. And uh, in this series, we're continuing to look at the overall subject matter of possessing true joy and contentment. Paul said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, in Job chapter 1, 
the book of Job in the Old Testament, we are introduced to a man that the Bible itself calls blameless and upright. That was God's view of Job. God said to, to Satan, have you considered Job, my righteous servant, a man who is upright and blameless? We know that Job feared God and consistently turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His wealth is enumerated upon. In fact, the Bible says he was the wealthiest man of the East. Yet, what we see played out in the book of Job is that this man suffered horribly. He was tested not because he had sinned, but because he was righteous. The devil thought by increasing Job's suffering and grief and trials that he could somehow or another get Job to curse God and turn away from God and to lose his faith. And so Job lost everything. He lost his wealth, he lost his children, he even lost his own health. And Job's wife became very bitter. Now we forget about the wife sometimes, but folks, let's remember, here is a mother who had lost all ten of her children. Sometimes we're hard on her, but we need to think about that. Finally, you recall what she said. She said, Job, curse God and die. And yet through it all, Job remained strong in the Lord. And so in the end, he was restored and he was blessed. Folks, this morning I want us to think about circumstances. Circumstances in life have a way of impacting our joy. They have a way of impacting our contentment in life. What are your circumstances this morning? Are they good right now at this stage in your life? Or are you suffering? Are you being tested? How do you respond when things are looking down? How do you respond when things are looking up? If your life is built upon circumstances to have joy and contentment, then you're going to be in for quite a ride. For who among us ever has everything going our way? Especially when you look at the long haul of life. Life is filled with mountaintops and valleys. But if your life is rooted in Christ, then you can weather the ups and downs and you can see how God in His providence can use some of the bad circumstances to further His work in you, maybe in ways that you never even noticed when things were going well. Well, today I want us to see how Paul responded when he was under house arrest. Remember, Paul is not in prison because he was a lawbreaker. He's in prison simply for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. And yet Paul was able to see God at work through all of his circumstances. It's not what he would have planned. But God so arranged his life that he was able to share Christ with people whom he otherwise would not have come in contact with. 
As a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal his case to Caesar. And that's exactly what he did. And so when he got to Rome to have Caesar hear his case, that put him in a place to see people and to be in a whole new set of circumstances that he could have never arranged for himself as a free man. Now folks, what we see in this passage today is that in the midst of our difficult circumstances, God has a plan to advance the gospel through circumstances and means that we would have never planned. God works in ways that the name of Christ will be preached. And as Paul realized this, it brought him a great deal of joy. He saw the hand of God working, and he had great contentment from knowing that. I mean, as he writes elsewhere, he confesses the word of God is not chained. It's not bound. Well, the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is that our circumstances can reach the lost. Read with me again, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul begins right off by saying, I want you to know that that was a phrase in the Greek language, the words that were used and the way they're put together, it was simply an attention-getting phrase. Paul wants them to understand that what he is about to say, it's like somebody saying, hey, listen up, I don't want you to miss this. That's the type of phrase that is. Well, what is it that's so important that Paul doesn't want them to miss? Paul wants them to understand he's okay. They've been worried about him, but he's okay. Not only is he okay, but what has happened to him has been good for his work as a missionary preaching the gospel. In other words, the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important to him than his own personal comfort. Wow. I want you to think about that. Folks, what if we, everything in our lives, everything that happens to us, what if we looked at it from from the vantage point, is this good for the gospel or bad for the gospel? And regardless of what I go through, regardless of what happens to me, regardless of my trials and tribulations, if it's good for the gospel, then I'm going to say it's good. What if we all looked at matters that way? Amazing. Now you might be asking, well, what happened to Paul exactly? I went over this a little bit last week. I don't want to belabor that point, but if you were to look back through the book of Acts, you would see that Paul has gone from city to city preaching the gospel. In his second missionary journey, he gets that Macedonian call to go over into Europe. He lands down at Philippi, and he was thrown into prison there because a young demon-possessed girl who brought her master's financial gain from her fortune-telling, had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And her master saw their financial gain drying up once the demon spirit left her. 
And so they stirred up the authorities against the Apostle Paul, and the authorities put him in prison. Once the whole mess got straightened out, Paul was released. As he went from city to city, continuing to preach the gospel, mobs would come out to hear. Many were converted, and likewise, many were offended. The gospel is an offense to many people, isn't it? We see more and more of that sort of thing today. Well, one group that was particularly offended was the Jews because here was once one of their very own rabbis. In fact, he was a rising star among them. He was one of their most prominent rabbis. He's now a Christian and he's preaching Jesus like few others that they've heard. So they stirred up the authorities against Paul. Paul was arrested. He was put in prison in Caesarea for two years. While there, he did what any Roman citizen had the right to do. I mentioned it a moment ago. He appealed his case to Caesar. And so Paul thus begins a supervised journey to Rome. Through the last chapters of the book of Acts, you can see this journey through all the ups and downs that it took. If you've ever been riding down the highway and a sheriff's deputy car goes by you and there's somebody in the back seat, you know, they're transporting that person to to another city, to another place. They're transporting that inmate. That's what they were doing with Paul. Only Paul was on board a ship. And every time Paul would witness before lesser governing authorities, what was their consistent verdict? They said, had this man not appealed his case to Caesar, he could could have been released. They saw that he wasn't guilty of what he was being charged of. While traveling to Rome, the ship experienced a wreck there near the Isle of Malta. Malta is a relatively small island. In the Mediterranean, below Italy, a lot of tourists still go to that city today, the the Isle of Malta. Paul finally arrived in Rome, just not the way he would have planned. You see, he always wanted to take the gospel to Rome. That had always been his ultimate dream. Listen to what he says about that in Romans chapter 1. He says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. 
He couldn't wait to get to Rome, the most powerful city in the world at that time. And from there, of course, we know that he wanted to establish a base of operations so that he could continue going westward, taking the gospel to Spain. And so he had always had in mind going to Rome. But little did he realize he was going to get there as a prisoner in chains. And when he arrived, he was able to stay in his own rented house under house arrest for two years until his case was finally heard. And during that two years, both day and night, Paul was chained to Roman soldiers. The chain would have been approximately 18 inches in length the handcuffs and chains that he was in. So as you can imagine, Paul's privacy is gone. During that time, the Philippians lost touch with him. About four years have now passed and they're worried about him. When they learn about his whereabouts, they send Epaphroditus with a gift with some provisions Epaphroditus gets to Rome, searches for Paul, finds him, becomes terribly ill, almost dies apparently. Paul takes care of him, gets him well, sends him back to Philippi with the letter of Philippians in hand. Paul doesn't want them worrying. He's like a parent who doesn't want his children overly concerned. And what's he tell him here? He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul saw that his circumstances, folks, were impacting the lost. Here he was chained to this palace guard, an elite guard, the praetorian guard, night and day chained to to different guardsmen. And these soldiers would rotate in and out from their shifts. Now, talk about a captive audience. Paul had them right where he wanted them. These were some of the most influential guards the world over. This was the palace guard. They heard Paul praying. They saw Paul writing letters, dictating to his secretary. The book of Acts says that visitors could could come and go and see Paul. The guards would have heard these conversations. And you can rest assured that Paul was preaching the gospel to the guards also. And so then they would get off of their shifts. They would go home to their families and they'd be out and about in their communities. These were men, powerful men, respected men who'd been saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul could not have imagined a better opportunity. Had he gone to Rome as a free man, he could not have paid to get an audience like this. Again, it's not what he planned, but he saw that it was what God had planned. And he saw that God's plan was more effective than his plan. Folks, what we need to see in all of this is Paul's circumstances didn't drive him. Paul's passion, 
His singular passion was Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his singular passion. What would a lot of Christians do? They'd probably whine. They'd probably complain. After all, who wants to be chained to guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Who wants to be a prisoner? Your, many of your freedoms gone. And yet, Paul looked at life through the lens of the gospel and he saw that it was good for the gospel, what he was experiencing. The last thing you may want to do in your life is establish a relationship with somebody whereby you meet with them on a, say, a weekly basis. You disciple them. Maybe you say it's, it's not convenient. Or the last thing you might want to do sometime is open your home to a Bible study. Or the last thing you may want to do is commit yourself to teaching a Sunday school class week in and week out or working with preschoolers or children or youth or whoever because, hey, if you do something like that, it's going to be inconvenient. Your weekends are going to be tied down. On and on we could go with different kinds of circumstances today where you and I might say, you know, I could do this for the sake of the gospel if I wanted to, but I don't know that I want to because I want life to be convenient. But for Paul, convenience and freedom wasn't the issue. The issue was will the message get out more effectively? That's what mattered. Folks, that is a testimony to dying to self. Paul died to himself. Sure, he was a prisoner, but think about the impact that he was having. I wrote a story about John Bunyan. When John Bunyan was locked up, for preaching the gospel. The writer stated that his preaching was so popular and powerful and so, so unacceptable to leaders in the 17th century church of England that he was jailed in order to silence him. Refusing to be silent, he began to preach in the jail courtyard. He not only had a large audience of prisoners, but also hundreds of citizens of Bedford, England, and the surrounding area would come to the prison yard daily and stand outside to hear him preach the gospel. Well, the authorities said, we're going to put a stop to this. And so they put him into a deep interior part of the prison. We'll show him. We'll, we'll shut this preaching of the gospel down. They locked him up in the interior of the prison. He got his pen out and started writing. Pilgrim's Progress. Do you know for centuries that's a book that has been read? Uh, only the Bible has been more popular and more read than Pilgrim's Progress. If you're looking for a great book to read in these days where activity's been limited, I can't think of a better classic to recommend to you than John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. More people have been exposed to the gospel through the pen of John Bunyan writing Pilgrim's Progress than all of those combined that he ever preached to in the prison yard. 
God has his plans. Amen? I think of John, the apostle, exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But through that exile, John took his pen up. And what book do we have in our Bibles? The last book in the canon of Scripture, the book of Revelation. The Word of God is not chained. God has such a unique way of using less than ideal circumstances to advance what He's doing in the world. What are your circumstances? Are you whining and complaining? And right now, maybe you hate your life. You hate what you're going through. Maybe you're going through something that seems so unfair. And yet, that might be the very thing that God's wanting to use in your life. The very things you're cursing about your life are the very things God's wanting to use to advance the gospel. Have you ever stopped to consider that? But again, it goes back to this mentality that I must die to myself. Nobody likes to do that. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to go through hardships. Nobody likes to face trials and tribulations. Folks, let, let's, let's be honest about that. We don't need to try to be naive or super spiritual about it. We don't like tough times. But if we find ourselves in tough times, we need to die to ourselves and say, Lord, what is it that you want to do through this? You're a sovereign God. You're providential. You've allowed this in my life. And if you've allowed it in my life, you must have a reason and purpose in it. My circumstances haven't surprised you. So God, help me to see what you want to do. That's the question now. What's God want to do through this? How does it fit into His purposes? How can the good news of Jesus Christ be advanced through that? You know what, though? It takes a really mature Christian to look at circumstances that way, doesn't it? There may be some way that your hardship right now is supposed to impact the lost. Some way that your testimony going through that is going to have even more impact. Put your life into God's hands and say, God, what do you want to do with this? Help me to, to get more and more daily where Paul was, where he was able to say, it's not me that matters, it's the gospel. And so if this is happening to me, help me to not stand back and just sing a song, Woe is me about this, but to see how you might want to use this. And who knows? You might reach lost people that you've never even imagined before. Second thing I want you to see, our circumstances can inspire the saved. Just mark... In your Bibles, verses 14 to 18. And notice what Paul begins saying there in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His circumstances aren't just advancing the gospel upon the lost, but his circumstances are having an impact also upon the church. 
Paul is becoming an inspiration and a motivation to the brothers and sisters in the church. Apparently, the Christians at Rome had had been a little bit intimidated by being Christians in the capital city of the Roman Empire. Folks, after all, we've got to understand their culture a little bit. Christianity was brand new. And it it was going into new territory. And many of these ancient cities were steeped in idolatry and false religions. And and Rome even entertained emperor worship, where they would burn incense in Roman temples to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't, they'd be persecuted. But here comes Paul. He's preaching the gospel to the imperial guard. Caesar's household itself is hearing the gospel. And more and more people in Rome are becoming believers. What a boost the Apostle Paul is being to the church there at Rome. He's an inspiration to the brothers and sisters. Now they're beginning to get out there in society more and more and share their faith. They're becoming bolder. Even Paul's imprisonment was an inspiration to them. Here's the Apostle Paul suffering the way he is and look at how he's still preaching the word. It's kind of like if you've ever been in a church service before where a foreign missionary comes to the service and shares about his or her life on a foreign mission field and maybe they're going through tough times and it's just their life now on that foreign field and you leave that service inspired and motivated and you think, wow, Think of what this person has given up here in America and gone there and what they're experiencing for the sake of the gospel. I need to do better myself. Their life becomes a witness to you to be more dedicated, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what Paul was becoming like to the Christians at Rome. Paul says even brothers with impure motives were more bold. I call them brothers. I guess you could put maybe a little question mark before, after some of their lives. But anyway, here's a group of so-called brothers. They're jealous over Paul. You know, it's sad today when Christians get jealous over other Christians. I, I can tell you, Sunday school teachers can get jealous. Missionaries can get jealous. Pastors can get jealous. Paul saw that at Corinth. They had all their little groupies, some clinging to Peter, some clinging to Paul, some Apollos. Who do you cling to? Oh, I I, I, I stick to Apollos or Peter. Paul says, "What's, what's Apollos? What's Peter? What's Paul? We're just servants of Jesus Christ. One sows the seed, another waters. But who is it that gives the increase? God gives the increase. We're just servants of Jesus Christ. Paul faced some of that at Rome. Some of the brethren were jealous over him. They were were becoming more bold at preaching the gospel out of envy, out of jealousy. 
They, they might have been saying stuff like, well, if Paul was really right with the Lord, would he, would, he, would he be suffering like this? Would he be in prison? And they were trying to cause him greater trouble. If he were right with God, surely God would have him released. They were stirring up things against him. Again, it's the same today sometimes, right? Jealousy, envy, false accusations. I want to share an illustration with you about a figure. He's no longer with us, a very polarizing figure, and I understand that. I do. But regardless of how you felt about this guy, I, I, I don't even, that's the danger of using an illustration where, where the person is polarizing. I don't want you to focus upon that, what you felt about it. Just the point I'm trying to make about jealousy. I remember reading in the autobiography of Jerry Falwell about the early days of Thomas Road Baptist Church. When he was starting that church, and he would get out, starting early in the morning, and he said every day he was knocking on, he had a goal every single day of knocking on, at minimum, 120 doors, six days a week. This was back in the day when knocking on doors was one of the most effective means of reaching people. Knock on somebody's door now and they might look at you kind of, you know, is this a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or whatever? But very effective back then. And his church started growing. I mean, just growing every week. More and more and more coming. He said when he'd knock on a door, he'd ask them if they had a church home. And if they said something like, you know, yeah, I go to that church uh, oh, across town. Uh, what church? Well, that, that one by the, the Walmart, you know, that church. Well, who's your pastor? Well, I really like him. Um, I, I, I just can't think of his name. He said he'd think, you know what? This is obviously a person not really involved there. And so he would try to go ahead and get him there at Thomas Road. Pastors in the area labeled him a sheep stealer. He said, they, they could do this very same thing I'm doing day in and day out. They're just not doing it. But there's this jealousy, this envy, this resentment that can really hurt the cause of Christ. Paul said, other brothers are more bold in preaching the gospel because of my imprisonment, and they're doing it out of love. They have the right motives. But he says the end result is the same either way, whether the motive is right or wrong. The important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached in Rome more so than it ever has before, and for this reason I rejoice. You see what's happening here? Paul's circumstances are an encouragement to the church. He's going through hardship and yet the church was being blessed and the gospel was getting furthered. Folks, in other words, the trials you face can be an inspiration to the church body of believers too. Your circumstances can reach the lost but your circumstances can also inspire and motivate the saved. 
It wasn't by accident that I had Kevin read that passage that he read earlier today in the service. 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we share. You see what Paul is saying there? God comforts us in the midst of our afflictions, but not so that the comfort just stops with us. God works in you, helping you through your circumstances of life and providing for you, encouraging and comforting you and getting you through it so you can turn around at some later date and you see somebody going through that, then you can minister to them because you've been there and done that. And you can be a testimony to how God got you through that. That's exactly what's happening in Philippians chapter 1 with Paul. But again, what's required in all of this, folks? We have to realize that we don't just live for ourselves. We have to have a vision that our life exists for the sake of the gospel. If we don't have that vision, we're going to turn in on ourselves with everything we go through. And if you're going through something you don't like, you're going to be bitter about it. Your life, my life, exists for the sake of the gospel. And everything you're experiencing in your life, in some way or another, is to play into that, the sake of the gospel. We need to start viewing our lives and our circumstances with that lens. Two quick lessons. Lesson number one, a Christian's life isn't to be an island. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, that we are to be salt and light. You see, there's this corporate nature to our lives. This corporate nature. And we're to be salt and light. We're not to be an island unto ourselves. The second lesson, a Christian's circumstances are an avenue. An avenue to be salt and light. How is God wanting... It's not just a matter of Brother Bill or Sister Sue over here. What's God wanting to do in your circumstances so you can be salt and light in a better way? This morning, what, what are you facing in your life? Maybe you're facing things you would have never planned. 
Maybe you don't like what you're, you're facing. I want to invite you this morning to die to self and to be open to what God may want to do through that. How might God want to use your life circumstances to further the gospel? How can you reach the lost and inspire the saved through what you're experiencing? Maybe this morning you need to come to Christ because you would acknowledge your life has always only been all about you. And Jesus Christ is calling you this morning to follow Him as Lord and Savior beginning from this day forward. In your heart, would you pray this with me, everybody? God, I thank you that you're in complete control of all things. The circumstances that surprise me do not surprise you. So Lord, take the events of my life, the good and the bad, and work your work through them. And help me to begin to see today how you want to advance the gospel in and through me. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be obedient. Lord, help me not to live for my comforts, but instead for your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.